How did we find ourselves to be halfway through the month? By living on a planet that spins around on its axis at roughly 1,000 miles per hour 365 times as it makes its way around a yellow star in the unfashionable end of the western spiral arm of a galaxy that likely has no inkling that it is being invoked in the introduction to the next edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement. I'm Sean Tubbs, here for August 15th, 2022, back from a small break in the space-time continuum, fueled with energy. On today's show, the final beam has been placed atop the new School of Data Science at the University of Virginia. Charlottesville's Economic Development Office seeks a consultant to help with a five-year strategic plan and opens up a new round of BRACE funding for businesses. Preservation Piedmont is seeking proposals to pay for research into historic buildings. And review continues of the way that Charlottesville will rewrite its zoning ordinance. In today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out, mark your calendar for the Rivanna Conservation Alliance's third annual Rivanna River Roundup Community Watershed Cleanup. Coming up on Saturday, September 24th, the RCA organized the first roundup in September of 2020 as a safe way for the community to give back to the river during the COVID-19 pandemic. Over the last two years, a total of 245 volunteers have cleaned up 67 miles of streams, nearby trails, and the Rivanna River, removing 192 tires and 213 large bags of trash from the waterways. Details will soon be made available, and you can get those by signing up for the Rivanna Conservation Alliance newsletter at rivannariver.org. The Emmett-Ivy Corridor, being developed by the University of Virginia, continues to transform, with major infrastructure being placed underground to support a number of major new buildings. One of those new structures is the School of Data Sciences, which is to be a four-story building facing Emmett Street with a green roof. The final steel beam was placed atop the exoskeleton in a ceremony on August 1st, according to an article in UVA Today. Over 300 construction workers, data science students, and others involved at UVA signed the final beam, which was hoisted into the air along with an artificial Christmas tree. The occasion was marked by the University of Virginia architect, who said a new era has begun for area land use. University architect Alice Roche said that this building for the School of Data Science will serve as a front door for the district, and that it is an important milestone for the realization of a vision for a new and exciting district for the university. Those working on the project include Gilbane Construction, Liphart Steel, Virginia Steel Erectors Incorporated, Piedmont Concrete Contractors, Design Electric, Riddleberger Brothers Incorporated, and the Falconer Construction Company. On the design end are VMDO Architects, Hopkins Architects, and Arup Engineers. What direction should economic development go in the city of Charlottesville? The city is seeking a firm to help create a new strategic plan to guide the next five years. A request for proposals was issued in late July that seeks the following. A full review of analysis of key demographic information and relevant economic indicators for the city, presented in context with at least 10 peer cities. An analysis of existing target industry clusters and their associated workforce. 
a review and deep understanding of the city's current situation with regard to opportunities and constraints, with attention to current planned land use and zoning rules, national regional trends in real estate development, trends in entrepreneurship and business development. The work will also require a stakeholder engagement strategy as well as a five-year plan with goals that reflect stakeholder input. The request for proposals closes on August 29th. According to the city's website, the Office of Economic Development is the catalyst for public and private initiatives that create employment opportunities and a vibrant and sustainable economy. Today, the Office of Economic Development has announced another round of grants under the Building Resiliency Among Charlottesville Entrepreneurs Program, or BRACE. New recipients can receive up to $2,500 for business promotion, modifications to business models, property improvements, and to cover costs associated with the COVID-19 pandemic. Previous recipients can obtain up to $1,250. Businesses have to make a 30% match. Applications will be taken through September 15th, and expenses have to have been incurred between May 1st and September 2nd. An area nonprofit that seeks to draw attention to historic buildings and advocates for their preservation is seeking applicants for grants. Preservation Piedmont is offering up to $3,000 in funding for research, documentation, interpretation, and articles about historic places. Here's a section from the Preservation Piedmont website. Proposals will be considered from individuals, organizations, and or localities from the following. City of Charlottesville and the counties of Albemarle, Buckingham, Luvanna, Green, Louisa, Madison, Nelson, and Orange. Preservation Piedmont began its grant program in 2008. Here are some recent recipients. The Albemarle Charlottesville Historical Society received $2,000 for the Hatton Ferry. The Friends of the Gladstone Depot received $3,000 to repurpose the depot as a community center in Nelson County. The Woolen Mules Chapel Foundation received $1,500 for stabilization of the Bell Chapel. The Rose Hill Baptist Church received $1,500 for efforts to restore a cemetery. Friends of Esmont received $3,500 for a book on the history of Esmont Village. The Burley Varsity Club received two separate grants of $1,000 for the publication of Unforgettable Jackson P. Burley High School. The Louisa County Historical Society received $1,000 for a porch painting project. The Virginia Organizing Project and the B.F. Yancey Heritage and History Committee received $1,000 for a history project and exhibit. And finally, in this summary, well, there's a lot more on the Preservation Piedmont website, the Albemarle Blue Ridge Heritage Project received $1,000 for signage. The current grant cycle closes on September 23rd, so get the word out to those you think may be interested. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and in today's second Patreon Field shout-out, WTJU 91.1 FM wants you to know about upcoming changes to its programming schedule. There's a lot to love about WTJU's programming, but from time to time, the station needs to adjust to better serve the community. WTJU's strategic framework prioritizes better representation of the diverse demographics of the community, both in the on-air talent and the audience. Here are some of the changes. The Monday through Thursday evening classical shows will mostly move to Sundays, which will air classical music almost the entire day. 
Monday through Thursday evening jazz shows will move up two hours. They're currently on from 9 to 11 p.m., but now they will be on from 7 to 9 p.m. And on Monday through Thursday evenings from 9 to 11, there will be four new shows featuring hip-hop, soul, rhythm and blues, funk, and more. For the full list of the changes that go into effect on August 29th, visit WTJU.net. Earlier this month, I asked if this was the summer of AC44, as Albemarle County's review of its comprehensive plan has been called. Compared to a similar effort in Charlottesville, AC44 is in its infancy, being just halfway through the first phase, which is taking a look at the county's long-standing efforts to preserve rural area land from overdevelopment through growth management. We are now well into the third year of the Seaville Plans Together initiative, with both an adopted affordable housing plan and an updated comprehensive plan calling for a significant increase in residential density. At their meeting on August 9th, the Charlottesville Planning Commission and the Charlottesville City Council got an update on the creation of a zoning diagnostic and approach report intended to inform the new zoning rules that will make it easier for bigger buildings on almost all parcels of land across the city. Here's James Fries, the city's director of Neighborhood Development Services. Zoning is, is that set of regulations and tools that define buildings in our, the buildings that can be built, the space, the building space as opposed to open space, and then how land can be used. Fries said the zoning rewrite offers the opportunity to address problems that have built up over time in the zoning code. One example, over the years, has been the way that height is calculated, as there are many conflicts. Fries said the rewrite is intended to make the city's zoning rules easier to read. Um, we want a zoning ordinance that is going to be a document someone can readily refer to and understand what they can do with their property or what could possibly happen in their neighborhood or at the end of the street. Fries said the rewrite could also include further changes to the future land use map adopted as part of the comprehensive plan. That document suggests increases in density on every residential parcel, intensity depending on the color of the map. When we talk about implementing the comprehensive plan, um, we're talking about the vision from the comprehensive plan. Um, we're talking about affordable housing, as we have been throughout this entire process, uh, addressing inequities, walkable, people-focused, uh, additional you know, protecting the natural environment. Um, and then and significantly um, working with our existing urban design, historic preservation in, in, in pursuit of all these other goals. Other words and phrases Fries highlighted are climate change, context-sensitive design, reducing approval times. These are all uh, kind of key words from the strategies that make up the land use chapter and all things that ought to be reflected in the um, zoning ordinance as we move forward. Eventually, there will be a toolkit created to avoid displacement of existing landowners in at-risk communities identified as sensitive under the future land use map. Fries said he had to make one clarification. When we talk about protecting dis or, or preventing displacement, as construing that as somehow protecting these vulnerable communities from change, and that is not what we're talking about. Um, there will be 
opportunities for redevelopment in these communities. But the idea is, how do we protect the people who live within that neighborhood from displacement? Or to put it another way, how do we create opportunities for the people who live in that neighborhood to continue to live in, live in that neighborhood, right? We know and are experiencing that gentrification is what happens when people are pushed out. They no longer have a place, no, they no longer can afford to live within the community. And that's the issue we're trying to address. This week, we'll see the publication of an inclusionary zoning program intended to tie density to affordability, as well as a model of how the market may react to an increase in allowable density. Our rules of thumb as we move into this, we're seeking the greatest level of affordability, the greatest level of affordability that is market viable. We're aiming for um, uh, 60% of AMI. That's what we want to get to, uh, requiring 60% of AMI. We're, we have to see what what the market can support. One programming note, my summary of Charlottesville property transactions from July should be posted sometime this week. That will go to paid subscribers first, but you'll be able to eventually see this 19th installment of that endeavor on Information Charlottesville. The zoning approach recommends that the available building space depend on the characteristics of a particular lot, including frontage, size, acreage. Other changes will include reducing the number of parking required in new developments. We'll talk about that in a future installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement. In the public comment before the meeting, former Commissioner Genevieve Keller noted that the draft approach calls for the elimination of the Planning Commission and City Council's role in granting critical slopes waivers and design approvals for projects in the city's official entrance corridors. She said she appreciated the desire to streamline the process by having staff make the final call. But I also think there is a role for the public, and sometimes the entrance corridor or the slopes is the only way that the public gets to know about a project, and so I would ask you to try to think of ways to keep the public involved. I don't know if that means putting it on the consent agenda or having a small committee of two of you that are working with staff. Commissioner Hosea Mitchell shared the concern about turning over final approval to staff in aesthetic situations. I worry that if we um, begin leaning on uh, moving towards black and white, we uh, lose some of the uh, some of the aesthetic uh, concerns that um, that again the architects suggested that we ought to have. Commissioner Jody Lehendro said he was concerned that planning staff are already overworked and may not have the time to conduct thorough review. He said he has spent time in the last two years reviewing site plans as a member of the Tree Commission. Things were being missed and, um, and, and, and just handled administratively and, um, and then finding out there were problems later on. I, I'm looking for transparency, uh -huh. um, and I want there to be transparency and the opportunity for still to question the decisions made by the staff. Some commissioners suggested simply transferring the duties of the Entrance Corridor Review Board to the Board of Architectural Review. No decision or consensus was reached. As for critical slopes, Fries said that change is more about timing. Currently, the Planning Commission is asked to make a determination on waivers at the same time a rezoning is considered. That is often before detailed site work has begun. We all inherently recognize the, the value of protecting critical slopes. Like, that's not what's at issue here. It's really just at what stage in the development process does it make sense to do this review. The Commission also had a long discussion about height. Commission Chair Lyle Soley-Yates said he feels the city needs to allow as much as possible in new buildings. 
uh, height, of course, is, is a huge issue in terms of aesthetics, but also in terms of affordability. Uh, if you want to um, raise prices, reduce heights. It's, it's extremely powerful. Um, so I'm concerned about the friction between our affordable housing and equity goals uh, and height regulations, any additional height regulations. Public comment will be taken through the end of the month on the zoning diagnostic approach, including in an online survey. NDS staff are meeting with various neighborhood groups to gather comment from members of the community. The draft report will be updated to take all of that feedback into account. Fries said the goal is to release at least a portion of a draft zoning code to the public in early 2023, with adoption later that year. We are aiming for spring of 2023. I will note spring runs all the way through June 21st. <laughs> so. For the full discussion, take a look at the link of a video that's in the newsletter on the city's streaming video archive. I will have more from this meeting in a future installment of this program. There was a discussion of parking requirements, and that's just going to take its own segment. There's plenty more to come on this, including a joint work session with the Planning Commission and City Council sometime in late September. The steering committee for the Seville Plans Together initiative meets on August 29th. And that's it for this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement. And this is the first episode back after a break in which I visited a different place and experienced life without a deadline for an entire week. That also means I've not had the chance to go back through several government meetings. And so this week and into the next, there will be several segments from those meetings. This is why I don't call it news necessarily. Information. And one of those comments and one of those meetings will be from the Charlottesville Tree Commission from August 2nd. There was a presentation from Tim Beatley, a professor in the Department of Urban and Environmental Planning at the University of Virginia. Outgoing Charlottesville Planning Commissioner Jody Lehendro was there. He gave a, a very good presentation on an innovative tree conservation in cities. Existing mature trees are exponentially more important to the environment and human health than replacing them with new trees. Several U.S. cities have ordinances that allow relief from zoning requirements to preserve existing trees. We'll hear more about that this week in an episode of Charlottesville Community Engagement. My time away has also provided fuel for me to get to that segment as well as others as I get back to this work. All of this is made possible thanks to readers and listeners. Uh, this is the part where I'm reading a script where I say if you've not heard the podcast, which of course is incorrect because you're listening to it right now. I encourage you to read it, write it, send it on a postcard to somebody. I just am glad you're here. If you would like to support this program, which includes covering my salary and mortgage, consider a paid subscription through Substack. If you do so, Ting will match your initial payment. If you sign up for their services through a link in the newsletter, you'll get a free standard installation, your second month for free, and a $75 downtown mall gift card. Enter the promo code COMMUNITY for full effect. Music in this installment and every other installment comes from the DC entity known as Rocky, randomly selected from a bin of basement recorded cassette tapes. You can support that work by purchasing the album Regret Everything for whatever you would like to pay. Thank you so much for listening. It's on to the next one for me. I'm glad to be back and thank you very much. Stay safe, stay informed, stay crazy after all of these years. Thank you very much and goodbye. <laughs>